the idea that women would love sex on a sink with a very oh, hard God. edge it's um, so uncomfortable she, her butt is hanging into the dirty dish sink that's not sexy that's not sexy that's not sexy that's not sexy Welcome to That's Not Sexy with AJ and Alexis. We're here to talk about how the movies we grew up with gave us some really wild and often pretty unhealthy ideas about romantic relationships and sex. So join us this week as we talk about fatal attraction and then probably tear it to shreds. This podcast discusses sex, sexual violence, relationship issues, trauma, explicit and or weird sexual situations, situations that you might find sexy and we really disagree, romantic encounters that make us feel icky, and a number of other things that aren't for everyone. This podcast may probably include words and phrases that you may find offensive. If you feel that any of this may not be for you, we understand. All right, Lex. Are you ready? Are you ready to talk about today's movie? I've never been more ready to talk about anything in my entire life. Oh my God. Today we get to talk about Fatal Attraction. Uh, 1987 release Juggernaut, the highest grossing film of 1987, nominated for Best Picture, Best Director Adrian Lynn, Best Actress Glenn Close, Best Supporting Actress Anne Archer, Best Screenplay, and Best Film Editing. So we're talking about a, a certified you know, tsunami blockbuster. It's It was a goat. It was a goat at the time. It I, don't even, I don't know if that's applicable, but it's um, that's a lot of bests. It was <laughs> a lot of bests. I actually didn't know that it got that many bests. I think I was nine when this came out. So no, I don't even know how you found out about, I, I guess, yeah, the newspaper. You would read like Siskel and Ebert's <laughs> reviews of things. Which I guess would be Chicago Sun-Times, right? But we didn't have that shit. Mm-mm. So this movie, roughly, here's our logline. For those people who've been living under a rock or are very young and thus only have heard about like the famous bunny boil scene. Um, this is about a married man's one night stand comes back to haunt him when that lover begins to stalk him and his family. His life seems ideal, but having enough is never enough. At the time, Janet, Janet Maslin, all hail, maybe New York Times uh, best film critic, said, years hence, it will be possible to pinpoint the exact moment that produced Fatal Attraction, Adrian Lynn's new romantic thriller, and the precise circumstances that made it a hit, which is kind of fascinating. And so I think she must be talking mm. about yuppies, you know, uh, the the ideas of, of monogamy and sort of a return to Reagan, ideas of 1950s America, where you should, it's all about the family unit and cheating is going to lead to fucking murder. And oh, yes. No, this know. is like the worst thing you could do. We're, we're talking about a solid marriage with a child involved. Like, how dare you? How dare you even think about it? Uh, and so is the message that infidelity leads to murder? Are strong women crazy psychopaths? I mean, what is going on in 1987? So, did you see it when it came out? I didn't have cable when this movie uh -huh. came out. 
So, and I didn't see it in the theater. Like, mm-hmm. I'm sure my mom saw it. Um, but I ended up seeing it maybe in eighth or ninth grade on cable, which by that point, you know, it's it's in the zeitgeist. It's already famous. I've already heard about it. But you're st- it's still early on in your yeah. life. At that I'm point. young, but yeah, not young. at the release. Got it. So did you, uh, do you remember liking it? I loved it. I have no idea how I felt about it. I, I mean, I'm sure I liked it only because I like it now. So yeah. I must have, but no, I don't. And well, spoiler alert, I did enjoy watching this again. There was a lot of like, oh my goodness moments where I was like, whoa, forgot that happened. Yeah. So, okay. So let's talk about their meet cute. Mm-hmm. Let's. So basically we, we think we see Michael Douglas has a good life, a good wife, Ann Archer, so beautiful, such a fun mom. Like I wish she was my sexy mom, right? A good relationship with his daughter who he actually is. I thought those scenes were pretty great. He's a pretty great dad. He's fun with his little girl. It seems like in general, they are living a great life, which really made me confused about why he would slip into this cheating very, very easily. But I mean, I guess the whole thing in the movie is that he's a dude. So of course he's just going to be like, oh, it's easy. Right. And the movie seems to not really judge him. Like the movie I feel is so much from his point of view and it's letting him off the hook, not in terms of what the chain reaction of what happens, but I feel like it treats him as like, he fucked one girl over one weekend. Yes. Why was... I mean, my initial reaction to the whole scandal was, wait, two seconds ago, you were happy as a clam with Ann Archer, who is gorgeous, super sweet, best mom, like for that time period, dressed impeccably. Like, mm-hmm. And she was also sexy. She yeah. wasn't like some, you know, frumpy housewife. She no. was super hot. And so like, to to jump directly from that with ease into I am now going to cheat with someone who, in my opinion, looked like a crazy person from the start. I was from like, I jump, don't get it. From the sushi restaurant. Uh, from the jump. You're like raccoon eyeliner, crazy 80s permed hair. Swept so far back off of her forehead that it looked like she'd been electrocuted. <laughs> and I was like, someone did that to her. Who hurt you? Who hurt you? She's a strong, assertive lady. With a rather powerful forehead. And it doesn't take a back seat to anybody's forehead. And I like that about her. I like that about her. So the first big, so she tells him, hey, I can be discreet. He tells her he can be discreet. And we kind of cut to this very sloshy doing it on a sink that is filled with dirty dishes and water. And she takes the sink water and puts it on her boobs. The whole thing was, I I don't understand what's happening. And why are you splashing water into your hands and then onto his face and then onto your boobs? <laughs> and so he's licking sense. like dirty dish water. And I get that it's supposed to be sexy, but I feel like this is the idea that women would love sex on a sink with a very oh, hard God. edge. It's um, so uncomfortable. She, her butt is hanging into the dirty dish sink. It is precariously balanced. There is another counter available. It's just obviously the director was like, no, we're going to need the water. We're going to need her her white you know, blouse to get wet. We're going to need the, the, this to look wet. 
yeah, it was really gross and bad and I did not like it. And that is an example of a sex scene that was sexy for, you know, the visuals and in practice, absolutely not. And then, and then we've got a few other tropes, like there is the music video style, like sex in an elevator where he rips her whole ass shirt open. (laughs) But also this is a quick timeout. What do you think about the fact that she's got the perfect 1980s bikini tan line. So she's got the little white boobies and the little white bottom. And then otherwise she's got that like band de soleil, the yes. summertime bronze tan lines. And I'm like, this is New York in what time of year? And where is she laying out? And this is before spray tan. It was, I think that it was New York in the late winter, early spring. I mean, tanning beds were a thing back then, right? So I guess in the eighties there were tanning beds. I think beds. they were. I think that the, I think that the eighties was was the time of tanning beds. I feel like I remember them on Miami Vice. Oh, maybe they were. And like people got murdered, like in murder movies, like in a tanning bed, but oh. someone would close <laughs> it too much, right? And then oh my god, tanning murdered some. Yes, something I thought was gonna actually that there. If we're talking about things that we thought might come up in our lives from movies was um how do I protect myself from someone closing me in the tanning bed that I'm in I don't do that anymore thank god because they're actually a coffin with locks and they're that I they're that heavy I mean you could be crushed to death for sure (laughs) I think after I finally got into one sometime in like the late 90s I was like oh that's not a real thing you're not gonna (laughs) die in there what are you the the sex in an elevator um that elevator, especially in the 1980s, in a loft in a ser- like one of the service elevators, I've been in those in New York City. There is not a, I don't care how clean your building was back then. That that smelled like pee. I'm sorry, that's gross. That and is she, not an attractive thing. No, and she lives in the meatpacking district. Yes, which in the 80s, not great. That was like a CD, and I feel like that was part of what the movie was saying. Like, because you know, every time they went to the meatpacking district, it's just carcasses and steam and it's always night and over whenever they go to his home it's snazzy you know yes you know so she's danger she's like getting butchered and like the the idea is like i think the meatpacking district was on purpose yeah i think so too uh okay so they have a great time they bone he tries to leave but somehow she gets him to go salsa dancing which i was very confused about when he was originally trying to leave was it the next morning? Did they go to a day salsa club or did they have sex at night and he wanted to leave? I think that they spent... Are there day salsa clubs? I mean, that yeah, no, you can go dancing whenever you want. It's one of the great things about New York. But no, I think that the implication is that they spent an entire weekend together just okay. like in this, you know, like alcohol, sex, nightlife whatever crazy like sort of like they were teenagers moments where you know you have this experience that's so romantic and fun and sexy and cool and there's you know it's sort of a whirlwind yeah and then you have to wake up on Monday and just like go to work and pretend that nothing happened I think that's probably one of the things that sparked her spiral it was like this big event and then he was like now I'm gonna leave you and go back to my wife and kid it's like a, it's like that dream we all have, like <laughs> sexual slash romantic, like combined sexual romantic fantasy about a lost weekend. Maybe it's in Greece. Maybe it's in Manhattan. Maybe it's, maybe it's in the Adirondacks in a cabin where it's hot, 
but it's also romantic. I feel like a lot mm-hmm. of dudes might have like all fucking weekend dreams, but for yeah. many women, myself included, it's got to be hot sex and then romance that feels like a mini relationship that plays out over three days, right? Like yes. she makes him pasta. They listen to opera. Which is part of the reason that I was so confused about how he was willing to do that in such a happy marriage. But if you put aside the fact that you know the end, that you think that at that moment, Michael Douglas has a little bit of a feeling like if life were different and I didn't have a kid. Yeah. It's a fantasy. He has a fantasy weekend, but then because he actually does have a real life that is actually solid, especially having a kid and the buying a house and all the different things. I mean, they set him up as being so solid in his life that he cannot possibly leave it to go with this crazy person. So there was a weird sex scene that wasn't where he's trying to leave and she's trying to make him bone her. That is very uncomfortable. She's just grabbing at him and she's yeah. trying to now use the sexuality that he's had enough of. Mm-hmm. And he's like, which there is was kind a- of pathetic. There was a lot of that. I think she thought that was the only thing she had to offer him. So she was throwing it at him full force. I don't think that she believed that he would actually like her. I think she, she really felt not good about herself. And she was like, this is what I have to give. So I'm going to chuck all of my, all of my sex at you. And that didn't work. And she was like, well, I've got, I've got nothing else. Right. So she slashes her wrists, probably performatively, but in something that should be scary. He uh, lovingly wraps them and then stays with her and then goes back to his home and immediately like gives the spaghetti that the wife left him to the dog, jumps on the bed to make it smell like him and thinks yeah, yeah. that he's the, the go back into his life. The roll around in his bed to make it seem like he slept there. And also the, <laughs> the dog who is never let out to no. pee. No, the whole thing. Like, it's just absurd. He's given a bowl of spaghetti that's going to give him a, a terrible indigestion. And then terrible he's just diarrhea. left alone yet again while dad goes and does whatever he's going to do. It's absolutely just the, the animals in this movie. These poor animals. This is the 80s um, where dogs were just like, just a set piece. So it's a good family. They have a dog. But for large amounts of the movie, no one's keeping track of the dog. They're not on a regular feeding or walking schedule. And I realize the movie isn't trying to like, it's not a movie about a family and their dog, but as a dog lover, it's weird to watch these older movies where there's just a dog that's conveniently there sometimes and you just don't worry about their whole deal. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Uh, just purely that this was going on in 1987. So you're putting the context is, you know, the eighties that Michael Douglas dealt with her slitting her wrists by not calling anybody. And I was like, no stitches, no, not even a butterfly bandage on that thing. But like, I mean, old it just gauze. it's like old. old gauze and it's bleeding through when he's leaving. I'm talking about not aging well. If someone tries to take their own life, you get them to the hospital, you 5150 them. They need to spend a few days with yes. the therapist getting real help. And yeah, I feel if like that was, was nowadays, like if, if it was now, yeah, there would be resources, even if he didn't want to be found out. But if if he had given her over to someone to be taken care of right then, it could have stopped the movie on its tracks. She just slits her wrist. He, he commits her. She goes to the hospital. She gets better, and no bunny is ever boiled. <laughs> and the bunny. Okay. Not and nobody wins any sort of Oscar for that. 
<laughs> if you're Michael Douglas, just some dude, you know, some some bro, you don't you wouldn't know who to call or what to do. Whereas now maybe you would. I think so. And I here's what I think. I feel that there's so many more resources. We understand suicide attempts better. Would mm -hmm. a guy now drop her off in front of an ER? The question is, would a, would a man in that exact situation, white male, master of the universe, life in his pocket, he has no empathy for her ever in the whole movie, which I noticed much more on this round. Uh, once mm -hmm. he has empathy until yeah. she starts acting up, right? Yeah, I think he had enough empathy. To, I, I, I think his expressions of empathy were self-preservation. Mm -hmm. on his side when you thought it was just going to be this like hookup this one night stand kind of a situation and then the reaction is as severe as it was from this woman and she just goes batshit yeah i mean do you don't know this person okay that's true i and mean she's I mean, she did a bad thing <laughs> he, did, he didn't do a good thing here he did a bad thing also we find out that it was unprotected no no michael douglas not especially not 1987 daddy good did a bad God. bad thing did a bad bad thing so that was that was a giant no oh my god uh okay so he thinks it's done he and his wife decide they're gonna get on that rich life and buy the house out in bedford or some fancy area because her parents are rich so they've got that in motion yes okay when glenn close and michael douglas are first hitting it off she plays him madam butterfly and mm -hmm. they bond over both being opera fans yes so she goes back to his office and says i'm sorry i want to pay you back for taking care of me let's go to go see madam butterfly bought two tickets this is when he first gets, starts to get alarmed right he's like mm -hmm. no baby kitty we're done no madam butterfly which yeah. leads to the famous scene of glenn close flicking the light on and off in her oh my god madam butterfly plays which is chilling it is Watching a terrifying again, scene what did you think I that scene that's it's an amazing scene and it's so funny I um it felt very teen angsty to me you know like it felt like something I would have done at you know 16 when my heart was broken the first time I just sat in my room and just sort of clicked my light on and off while listening to Nirvana or something like that yep I would have um, done that I might have yeah. done that in a performative way after watching yeah, I don't movie. I don't think that I would have listened to Madam Butterfly, but I would have been listening to some sort of music. It was such a good scene. And it was, it, I think it was a good indicator of, oh, this woman, there's no way that this woman is going to let this go. Yes. Uh, which begins a spiral of a, a cascade of calling, 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 him not returning the messages. You can see she's getting increasingly isolated and desperate. They change their phone number because they're going to move. Uh, which leads to the awkward as fuck scene where he comes home to the apartment and she's and just she's there, there with Anna Archer. She's there with his wife. <laughs> like yeah, that funny. scene is a little bit of um, like dark comic, you know, relief for the movie because you're like, this is the worst thing that could possibly happen. You're like, ooh, check please. <laughs> I have to admit there was multiple times in the movie or during, you know, during watching the movie where I asked myself is now when I would come clean, like, you know, what, what would be my breaking point for saying I lied to you? I have to just tell you what's going on. I, I would say I, whenever it was, he early. finally does it way when you're, you do it when your kid's kidnapped. I know that's later, but like he waited again, not a fun movie. If he comes clean, 
at any of the times you and I would like him to come clean. But as yeah. humans, you're like, what the fuck, dude? You know, a, a bunny is boiled, a child is kidnapped. Actually, right. That would have been a good time. And you actually could still have a movie, a different movie. But you could have the movie where he, he, he tells her to go. He tells the wife the truth. She's got to do with what she want, what she can do with it. But then it's the two of them kind of deciding how to handle the news which comes next, which is Alex says that she's pregnant and she intends to have the baby and wants him to be in the baby's life. So here's yes. the question. Is she really pregnant? It, a, did you think she was really pregnant then? And if so, or if not, did your feeling evolve upon watching it now? I don't know. Did she somehow fake it? It's a, it's really difficult to know, mm -hmm. um, especially considering the fact that it would have been pretty quick. Um, but I think that the thing that is most interesting about whether or not that she, she's pregnant is also, it does not change really his, it, it only makes him look worse mm -hmm. because of the way that he reacts. He still doesn't tell his wife. And also at the end, when he kills her, did he just kill a, he should have, I mean, he rightfully, she is. Well, right. she, uh, Ann Archer kills her. Well, yes, that's true. Yeah. I think that he thought that he, it, yeah, he they tried both, to, they, they both kill her. Really. Which is weird. There's so much to unpack there too. So much to unpack, but I think that it's also an interesting other level to that. Cause you're like, is, was that woman pregnant when those two, when she, when she put herself in a position to be murdered, basically. When I was originally just sort of typing up to what to look out for. Uh, of my own memories of the movie before I watched it again and did, or did anything. One of it was Alex pretends to be pregnant as a ploy. Mm -hmm. And then I watched the film and I started picking up on some things where it was like, you know, he does call the doctor and the doctor says, congratulations. Then when she goes to spy on them, at the house in the country, she vomits. Uh, when she oh, sees yeah. And and then I was thinking about this Madam Butterfly thing. And I was like, is Madam Butterfly some sort of a metaphor? So I go up and I, I look at what is Madam Butterfly about? It's about a man who sleeps with a Japanese woman. Mm -hmm. They have a baby together. He abandons the family. And when he comes back later, she thinks he's going to come back to her. But instead, he just wants the baby. She commits suicide. Aha. Uh -huh. Well, then it turns out the original ending of the movie was that she commits suicide and sets it up to look like he's killed her as oh. her final revenge. Not as good an ending. No. And she went and lobbied for it. Glenn Close didn't like this ending because she thought it turned her into like a Freddy Krueger, like a slasher figure. And she tried yeah. to quit the picture and they said, no, trust us, this, it has to be this ending. So I think she was pregnant. Yeah, no, that in that context, then yeah. I would say. And the thing is, I lean towards her being pregnant more than not. In a way, it, it made me feel worse for her because it's like, is there this mama thing that takes? I mean, she freaking does stalk him, throw acid in his car. I love it that she makes a um, stalking cassette tape. For him to play. Oh, the cassette. I was like, I, and also, well, she's not only does she make the cassette tape, but she follows him as he listens to it. Yeah. It's absurd. The, the whole thing is kind of, kind of, kind of outrageous. I mean, in a, 
it, it's great because it's every single sort of, I mean, the tape is sort of an 80s trope in and of itself. Yes. I mean, it's, just, it's not a mixtape, but it may as well be. It's like Alex's greatest erotic, erotomania hits where she's just like, <laughs> I love you. I hate you. I love you. I'll destroy you. Come back to me. You fuck her. I'll murder your bunny. Like, and I love oh, it. it and so in, in, in the original, after she dies and Michael Douglas goes to jail, Ann Archer finds that tape and gives it to the police to clear Michael Douglas's oh, name. Okay. So it ends yeah. with them back together. And uh, they thought it'd be too dark. And they thought it's more fun if Glenn Close gets murdered by the wife, because then it's more like the woman was fighting for her family. And that is how mm -hmm. it was received. And at the end, they're back together. What, who you're really rooting for is his family. Yes. I a cute daughter not. and Ann Archer, right? You're, yeah, you're not you're not rooting for uh you're, I was basically I'm rooting for the daughter, but um okay, three big set pieces. Mm -hmm. Uh Michael Douglas is uh the sort of unhinged Michael Douglas we come to see in other movies. He goes to track her down after she's been real stocky and does the acid in the car, and he is choking her out almost to murder. Yes. At this point, he thinks she's pregnant with her child. This is at her apartment. Almost yes. kills her. Yeah, I mean, very much almost kills her. Yeah. And this is when she's done no violence to his family yet at all, right? Which is ratcheting it up to where her next two steps are kidnapping the daughter, boiling the bunny, and then being in the house with a knife, which yes. she's going to kill Ann Archer. Yeah. Why do you think she boils the bunny? That's a good question. I think that he, she just wanted to inflict chaos and pain by that point i think that it, it devolved but i really think that at that point she probably knew that things were not you know going to work out between the two of them not and a match so, made in, a match made in hell match made in hell <laughs> um no i think that i think that by that time she was just trying to inflict chaos so she's going to damage him because she was chaos like everything inside of her was chaos so it's sort of like his reflection I, the thing that i think about when i watch that and and think about what that would be like is sort of these moments in my own life where i felt really out of control having nothing to do with whether or not i would have done anything like that but thinking about those moments where i felt so out of control emotionally myself yeah like depressed or upset or whatever and then thinking oh my gosh if you added to that a inability to control yeah. what your your actions yeah to regulate know, some, some other level of mental illness on top of that yeah i was like oh okay that's what happens yeah i was also th i agree and i was also thinking in in a, a kind of a bizarre way in the old fashioned pregnancy tests the rabbit dies if you're pregnant and so oh, i was God. wondering if there was a meta Oh, don't make no. anything of like the rabbit dies because oh, she's pregnant maybe. and she boils the rabbit. Oh, um, and then I was also interested in the fact that this is an 80s movie where, okay, first of all, so much woman choking, he kind of chokes her three different times. It's <laughs> odd the choking of ladies, but that Ann Archer was the one who dealt the death shot. And I thought that was an interesting choice on the director's part. Or the writer, or maybe it was a combination since this was a different ending. Like, why give Ann Archer? Is it to say she's taking her family back and ultimately yeah. anoint her as a saint badass? Uh, yeah, I think that she's like the strongest. She, she's the strongest character in the whole movie yeah. start to finish. I mean, she's the only one who is just a fully, you know, 
fully realized human being. She would exist. And I think that, that Michael Douglas knows that she would be fine without him. I, I, I really think also it's an indication additionally, cinematically that uh, they're going to stay together. That that's what I got from it. Cause they both offed this woman. Yeah, they, they, they now share. share the fact that they killed a woman in a bathtub. Uh, um, and then the final shot is this nuclear family arms around each other. And then like a picture of the family. And mm-hmm. I thought, what is more eighties than like at the end of the day, the best you could ever hope for is a beautiful house in the suburbs and your nuclear family is intact. And that crazy bitch. That crazy met. bitch is dead. Yeah. Uh, the eighties feels like it was full of movies about terrible secrets about married life. Yes. Like there's just a rampant, you know, all the things that could possibly go wrong within married life, but you must stay together. You must stick it out for the sake of the children, which you definitely have like, for the sake it, of the BMW and the, yeah, for the <laughs> sake of everything, like do not get divorced. Do not, no. do not admit to anything. Do not, do not speak freely. Do not have an open line of communication with your spouse. Just keep those secrets locked and throw away the key. Uh, Glenn Close, a little parting shot here was asked about the movie and she said, unquote, now she's considered one of the greatest villains ever. She told the times that to me is a mistake. I've never thought of her as a villain, just in distress. And she that was, was how I think she tried to play her. I think she gave I, that character a lot of humanity yeah. that the film kind of, in my mind, did not. Did not I, I would agree with that now. I, it, yeah. You get the feeling that she had some terrible things happen to her prior to that, that yeah. she is trying to fix through this connection with Michael Douglas's character. And nope. it doesn't work. <laughs> nope, she becomes unspooled. Yeah. I think one of the big things that was different for me on a second watch was it was easy for me to see Glenn Close as just a crazy bitch like a psychopath, crazy bitch that you wouldn't have empathy for that, you know, when she gets killed at the end and there's like a quippy line, Mm -hmm. you're like, yeah, you're not that I was rooting for her to die, but it was like, yeah, that's how it goes. She's a crazy, she's like a crazy bitch. I think I was rooting for her death early on in the movie. I really think pre even realizing how far she was going to go. I was like, this woman is a danger to herself and others. Not that I think murder is ever the answer. I'm talking purely in the context of this particular film. Yeah. Like, like as, a, as a story arc, I was like, I hope that this woman doesn't make it out. You're like, she's no, but I feel like on rewatch, I felt for her as a mentally ill person. Oh yeah. um, no, she, it was painful. Yeah. And it wasn't on first watch. It was easy. And now it's not. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that part of it is a testament to Glenn Close giving an incredible performance a humanizing performance and obviously I mean, she boils a bunny she kidnaps i mean she's i understand she needs to be institutionalized but i did feel for her as an actually ill person you know yeah but i think the more interesting thing here is the idea that someone like glenn close maybe it's like an example of that you couldn't necessarily just go out and get yours like you couldn't just be this single woman who could go out have a hookup and have no um, emotional attachment to that. It could just be fun. It could be frivolous. Maybe she felt at the time that doing it with a, a married man was actually the safe route. Who knows what what spiraled her out of control? Was it was it guilt? Was it 
the fact that she couldn't have him? Was it the fact that she was damaged to begin with? Like, there's so many questions on her end because you never get to know her. She is not a dimensional character at all. Like, she's just a crazy person in this mm -hmm. and that's it. Uh, actually, let me tell you a little fact. Actually, that at the time this movie was released, even as it was becoming a huge hit, it angered feminists. Uh, oh, interesting. Really viewed it, you know, in real time as a vilification of women's sexuality. Uh, a group of feminists, feminist psychotherapists, oh, retroactively diagnosed Alex's condition. Okay. And they said that she is an erotomaniac, which does would be like a fun name for an 80s synth band, like the erotomaniacs. I would listen to that band. I would go see them. <laughs> we probably did. Uh, which is the object of the delusion is typically a male who is unattainable due to high social or financial status, marriage or uninterest. This person believes they are getting secret messages and talismans that they're Amarata is interested, mm -hmm. which makes a lot of sense when you look at the movie and the way she believes he's communicating interest. Yes. When he's not. Yeah. And she or believes that if, if she, she believes that if she just convinces him, just if she just shows him enough, you know, passionate interest that he will be like, oh, I didn't realize that you're actually the better woman for me. But yeah, I think that a lot of that has to do with the all the things that society put, you know, especially then put on women. Like men are supposed to be the ones that were sexual and not women, which if you make yeah. it again now, how is it different? I, I don't think it is different. I do think that it holds up over time. Um, there was some basic film things that would be done differently. I thought it was pretty funny that in a in a movie about New York City during the 80s, it was a white movie. Not just not just counting the fact that Glenn Close only wore and owned white things mm -hmm. but just just you didn't see her tan was the brownest thing in this movie it was, it was fatal attraction so white it is it it's a yuppie so movie white. right it's a movie for 80 white 80s like Reagan's America yeah this is a dark yuppie movie yeah it's a I think it's a really good movie still and if you look at it it's well crafted it's well acted it's scary it's like not an embarrassing movie all right. What about, uh, as we're getting ready to kind of wrap up before we do final thoughts, any sexual tropes that you learned from the movie were excited by and kind of influenced your thoughts about what sex might or maybe does look like for you now? I thought that the way that they made Glenn Close sexy in this movie, which was a crazy version of it, yes. but the way that her apartment was all white, the way that she wore all white, the way that she seemingly never wore underwear. Yes, <laughs> the most. No underwear. I think that one of the things that I had like waited for in my life was when do I stop wearing any form of underwear? <laughs> like, when point. can I ride the New York City subway? <laughs> With white no skirt, no undies, no bra. Yeah. When does I, that happen? When does that happen? So yeah, so it's not necessarily um, as much of a trope as it is just sort of a huh. That's interesting. It made me think, oh my God, infidelity is the absolute worst thing that you could do. Like cheating on your spouse or, or being cheated on mm -hmm. is not just um, horrible, but it's also dangerous and yes. could just blow up in your face in such a big way. You better and stay home and fuck your wife forever because yeah, the, it was almost you cheat, a, 
moral. It was almost a, you know, the moral of this story is don't do that because this is what could happen to you. Your bunny could get boiled on the stove and your child, your child could get kidnapped to a, to a Coney Island. (laughs) The stakes are that high. And I think you're right. I think you're also hitting on something, which is that we're talking about AIDS. This movie's released in 87, right? So no one talks about AIDS, but if you think about how the times reflect, right? So this is upwardly mobile 80s Reagan era return to home and hearth and jelly beans and and greed is good. Mm -hmm. And if you don't have a regular monogamous nuclear family, you'll probably die of AIDS. Mm -hmm. And so in this, you know, in on that note, too, there's there's no worry of AIDS in this movie. Yeah, because this is a one married couple Mm-hmm. They're middle-class white people yeah. and it's a straight storyline. There's, you know, yeah. so like it, it, that's not true, yeah. but in this, in that era and what, you know, whatever that was, it hadn't, it hadn't become, you know, the problem for all. Yet. Right. Right. And we're in this idea where like anything deviant could lead to everyone's demise. Right. Yeah. And the worst thing that like, they could think of was the, the cheating, not yeah. the the death part of things. Yeah. And it's like, she might come for your family. And and I think this movie also, like, my kind of final thought on it was just the, the continued vilification of why can't we let a strong sexual woman exist that just wants to screw who she wants to screw and doesn't have to be crazy. You know, it's like mm-hmm. all guys want to have sex with a crazy bitch because they're hotter <laughs> than your wife. But you want to be with your wife mm-hmm. who is appropriately, Safe. Uh, probably blandly hot. Or yeah. sex, right? Um, and I don't know that we're past that all the way. No, we're not not all the way. I think we're a lot better. I think that there's definitely yeah. a, a, there's a huge. I mean, if there's any big swing, I think that it's it's that we've gotten better about that for sure. I agree. But um, but yeah, that was definitely the that was the that was the moral of this story. Thank God we've got freaking our wet ass pussy friends out there talking about women's <laughs> pleasure. We've gone from this, we've come full around to Cardi B. Yep. Yep. So, well, uh, I loved it. I thought it was great. Me too. I enjoyed watching it again. And uh, and I don't plan on ever watching it again for the rest of my life. I'm good. I'm done. <laughs> good. I think that we've done it. I think that we've unpacked all we have to unpack about that. We love the journey. Love the journey. Thanks, AJ. Don't cheat on your spouse. That's the moral of the story. All right, John, I'm not going to cheat on you. Wink, wink. Okay, there you have it. Thanks for deconstructing Fatal Attraction with us. If you like this podcast, please go give us a review. It would mean the world to us, really. If you didn't like this podcast, you are free to never listen again and tell absolutely no one about it. You can follow us for updates on Instagram at That's Not Sexy Pod or send suggestions for movies you'd like us to cover at info at that'snotsexypod.com. Thank you so much for listening. Bye. Thank you. Adios. Au revoir. Au revoir. Right if you find work. That's Not Sexy is brought to you by Morning Fog Entertainment, created by Alexis Mixter and produced by Alexis Mixter and AJ D'Agostino, edited by John Morrow with music from Disastronaut, and extra inspiration from the Dagmaro Hounds, Bowie and Scully. We love you.